0: It is a joy for us to be here together this morning on the last day of 2017. I think I'm getting older because I used to hear people say that the years just seem to go faster as time goes on, and I find that to be true now myself. If we have not yet had the time, I pray that we would take the time to reflect on, on the past year or so and consider how God has been faithful to us. We know that He has. that we may reflect on, on what He is teaching us in His Word in our time of prayer, that as we go into 2018, a new year, a new start in some ways, that He would he would show us what He has for us in the new year. And this morning, it is, it is my privilege and it is humbling to be able to share a passage of Scripture with us, a passage that uh, I thought I just kind of stumbled onto, but I think the The better way to say that is the Lord led me to several months ago. uh, To give you a little bit of a background here this morning, Uh, one of the things as we have been in the process of searching for our next pastor that we have talked about is is the idea of what does our church need to be doing and, and really thinking about and focusing our attention on as we go forward and how does a pastor who we would call fit into that. And we've had some great discussions with different men about what their vision for the local church would be. And I think in in one of these men, he said it very well, he said, I think we can make that more difficult than it needs to be, because the Lord Himself gave us a pretty clear direction of what His people and His church is to be about, right? In Matthew chapter 28, as He was talking to His disciples, He says to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that I have taught you, baptizing them it's pretty clear that he has given us our job as individuals and then as individuals as we come together in the church, that that is what we need to be doing. And as we've, th- as I have thought about that, I've spent some time just thinking, if we were, as individuals and as a church, to have a renewed vision of that direction from the Lord, what would that look like in our lives as individuals? What would that look like as we come together? And one of the things that that I thought of is looking out at you all today in different weeks. As I were to look into the future, if we were to do that well, as the Lord has asked us to do, I see a group of people gathered in joy in the Lord, ever growing, ever maturing. I see people among us who are coming to faith in the Lord for the first time, a saving faith. I see people who have faithfully walked with the Lord for decades, but not not retiring from walking with the Lord, continuing until their last breath on earth is taken. I see those who, after we have been bold and courageous in taking the truth of the Gospel to those around us in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, and our families, we see some who come and they don't come to be among us and see what church is about and what great programs we're putting on this week. But they have seen Jesus in our lives and they come to learn about Him and the hope that is within Him. And as I think about these things, I don't see necessarily specific styles of the way we do things or even specific programs. Over the years, we've done a lot of good things. There have been many faithful people who have served in many ways. But I look and I see more the result or the fruit of that. I see as as Josh Reminded us As disciples, we're called to come out from the crowd and follow the Lord. That as we come together, the joy of doing the work of the kingdom grows in our hearts. And though we seem to have a lot going on, it's not a burden to add one more thing to do the work of the Lord, but it's a joy. It's interesting. I've I've been thinking about the passage we're going to look at for a number of months, and it was never with the intent of doing this today. That was never... What I was thinking that I would do, but um, in thinking that it the Lord continually brings new things to mind as I think about this, and even this morning, laying in bed, uh, praying that the lord would use use this time to highlight truth from his His word, uh, I think we pray many times that the Lord would make us more like His Son, Jesus, right? Has anyone ever prayed that? You can raise your hand. We can participate a little bit. I may be more used to youth group where even people talk back at me. And I don't know if we need to do that, but I don't know if you're like me. I had the realization laying in bed this morning that many times when I pray that prayer, it's more of, God, help me not to do certain things. Help me not to do the things that I shouldn't. But as I have looked at this, I think that prayer for me and, and maybe for others needs to turn and be more of... As the Lord would make us more like His Son Jesus, as we look at His life in Scripture, we don't see Him not doing things right. We're not drawn to the things He didn't do. Yes, He lived a holy life and He didn't sin, but we're drawn to the things He did do. He said He was always busy doing the Father's work. And as, as we pray that prayer, may we continually grow to be more like Him in doing the Father's work. If you have your your Bible this morning... I invite you to open it with me to Matthew chapter 6. As I have uh, thought about some of the things that I've shared with you this morning, I thought the way we see the fruit of God working in our midst is to be a people who live, as Matthew 6.33 would tell us. And, and that verse came to mind, and I spent some time thinking about it. it so "...to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness." And then all of these things will be added to you. At that point, Jesus is talking about physical needs, basic needs. And as I thought about that for a while, I I began to read what was around it and uh, was really drawn to the passage that goes from verse 19 to verse 24. And that's where we're going to spend our time this morning. And it's interesting because, as I said, I have been thinking about this a lot. And uh, again, not with the intention of sharing it with you all this morning. But as as we have prayed as deacons and as a search committee that the Lord would lead us in in what His vision for us would be, this is where my heart was drawn. And recently, a couple of of the other deacons have brought ideas and and conversation that seem to be leading maybe in a similar direction. And as I've thought about this, uh, we needed someone to speak this morning and began to wonder, is there something here that the Lord is beginning to stir in our hearts? that He might encourage us and challenge us. Uh, And so I'm excited to look at this together. And as we begin, um, follow along with me, if you would, as we read Matthew 6, 19-24. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, You cannot serve both God and money. Again, if you're like me, these may be familiar verses to us. As I was thinking about it, I couldn't have recited this whole passage from memory, but I probably could have in chunks recited the concepts that are there. Do not store up treasures on earth. Store it up in heaven. Got that. Do not uh, this and that. And this is a passage that if, if we have been in church long, it may be very familiar to us. And I think, and it's good that it's familiar to us, but I think sometimes there's a danger in familiarity because we can quickly breeze through what is there and we can miss what, what is really being taught to us. So today I hope that we can slow down, we can think about some things that are here, and at the end of the day, that the Lord would do whatever it is He would desire to do in each of our hearts. If so that's to encourage us, because we see that this is what we are doing, praise God. If it's to challenge us because we need to grow, praise God. As we start, as we look into this, we're going to kind of slow down and dig into some words and some, and some ideas here. And we're going to focus on one small section, but this is just a, a part of a sermon that Jesus gave—a sermon that takes up three chapters in the book of Matthew. And I'd like us to quickly just zoom out and and get a little bit of context and idea of of where this comes and what Jesus is saying. In verse five, he begin or chapter five, excuse me, he begins what is commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. The first number of verses, the Beatitudes, are a, a description of character traits that would de- define those who would follow Christ, those who would be believers, Christians. He would move on from there and he would talk about how Jesus being the one speaking, how he came not to do away with the law, the Old Testament law, but to fulfill it, to teach us the fullness of what is there. He cites a number of examples where he said, you have heard it said, and he speaks of something and he says, but I tell you, I'm going to take this further. And as we come to uh, chapter 6, the first 18 verses tell us how we should do good works. Uh, He says that as you do various things, as you give to the needy, as you pray, as you fast, this is how you ought to do it. Not so that as I do these things that you would see it and, and you would say, wow, great job. But that I would do those things secretly, that the Lord would see it, and that He could reward. And as we come to verse 19, we continue these things. Everything he said up until this point seems to run counter to the culture in which the people who were listening the day he spoke this sermon were living in. And as we read these words today, that same is surely true for us. The way that he instructs us to live is not the way that we see given by example in the world around us. And all of these things that Jesus talks about speak to the heart rather than the outward appearance. We begin in in verses 19 and really on through 34 in the submission of our heart's desires and our needs to the Lord and his will. And as we go through this this morning, my prayer is that, that what would be in the back of our minds the entire time is, is what I've already read in Matthew 6, 33. We would seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, that all these things, all that we need, would be added to us because really that is the heart of what we were talking about this morning. And I pray that as, as we look at any passage of Scripture, but especially a passage where the Lord Himself is giving us direct instructions on how he wants us to live as his followers, that we may have the mindset that David did as he wrote Psalm 139, when he said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there is any offensive way in me. Lead me in the way of everlasting. Would we allow the Lord to show us the truth of what is in our heart this morning? With that in mind, let's jump in verse 19. Jesus begins talking about our relationship to earthly wealth and earthly treasure. And when I say that word treasure, what comes to mind? doesn't have to be the right answer, but just what comes to mind? Ian, if you wouldn't mind putting a slide up. I had Ian um, grab a slide from online and and just show us something. Because as I was thinking about this, um, one day, this is kind of what came to mind. I was taken back to my days as a child where... Maybe I would watch a cartoon or something on TV, and there was a pirate or somebody who was searching for buried or lost treasure. And we've probably all seen a treasure map. This one doesn't have the X that marks the spot, but we, we know that there is a buried treasure, a missing treasure, that uh, someone desperately wants to find, right? And if you can see on the map, to get there, this gentleman has to sail through shark-infested waters, he has to weave his way around the island, past the skull or maybe someone who came before him died. He has to go past the big snake and fight that off, the, the terror that's there. And eventually, we come to the treasure chest, right? There's something that, that looks an awful lot like this. And in that chest, there's usually some gold coins and jewels and other things that are pouring out and spilling over. These are the deep thoughts I have as I rake my yard in the fall, I have a, uh, I live in a neighborhood with many mature trees, and I have many hours that I have the opportunity to contemplate such things. You know, if if you would ever like that opportunity to contemplate the deep things of Scripture, let me know about next November, and I I can help you there. Um, but all, all joking aside, the treasure that they're searching for is something that they place great value on, right? Otherwise, they wouldn't go through the dangers that are laid out for them on the map and that they will encounter along the way to obtain this. The treasure that's in that chest is something that is very dear to them. They place great significance on them. Maybe they think that it will bring them comfort. They're obviously willing to work hard, take a risk, and face danger. Maybe sacrifice something. So as we think about the word treasure, this is kind of just a... Maybe something to get us thinking a little bit differently. We all have things that are important to us, right? That we place great value on. That there is significance in. That we are willing to work hard for. To take a risk for. To maybe face danger for. To sacrifice. Go without something else to get it. So Jesus is talking about treasure here. He's talking about laying up treasure someplace. We think about laying up. What does that mean? Lay up. Some versions of some translations will say store up. Treasures on, do not store up treasure on earth, but store up treasure in heaven. When we think of storing up. Again, what comes to mind? Verses that we could quickly go through. I think when we talk about storing up, there's an idea of of working to gather and to acquire. And when I get one, maybe there'll be another one, or there'll be a better one. We're gathering a collection of things that are important to us, things that our hearts desire for. So as we work through this, think of the things that are important, that have value. As Jesus talks, there are, there are two places that he mentions that we can store our treasure that would be a possibility. One, he says, don't store it there. And another, he says, do store it there. Let's start with what he says not to do. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. There can be treasure on earth, right? We can probably all think of things that we value, that we possess today. That looks different for each person. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's wealth, financial security, that retirement nest egg, planning for all those things that we don't know about. Maybe it's the the success or the recognition that would come from achieving those things, the the illusion of security that comes in financial resources or wealth. Maybe it's our families or experiences or just pleasure in general. Many times with earthly treasure, there is a danger that we want to gather and acquire, not necessarily to be generous, but to be selfish, right? As I think about this, I... I realize that I have maybe a long list of toys that I would like to have, and no matter what I say about them, the truth of the matter is, it's really so that I can go and enjoy them myself and maybe get away from everything, not think about things. That's earthly treasure. We work hard for those things. We put in the effort that's necessary to obtain that which we desire, right? We're willing to put that in. It says don't store treasure there. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. I think we can probably all identify with earthly treasure. There's something that we can see, that we can touch, that we can get our arms around. Heavenly treasure, I think, is a little bit more difficult because none of us have been there, have we? When we think of heavenly treasure, we think about that by faith. And before we start talking too much about that, I want to highlight a thought that that hit me last Sunday as I was sitting in church. I had the opportunity to worship with brothers and sisters in Big Rapids in a joyful time. and, And I was listening to what the pastor was talking about. This really wasn't it, but something he said triggered this in my mind. As we talk about heavenly treasure, can we remember that it's only by God's grace that we can have the idea to talk about that? It's only by God's grace that we could even think of the idea of heaven being a reality for us. Because the Bible tells us that we are desperately wicked, we are sinful, we are separated from God, that what we deserve is death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death, separation from God forever. But in His grace, He would send His Son to earth to live as a human, to live perfectly. To die on the cross for our sins. Because Hebrews tells us without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. The bad news for us is that even if we were to shed our blood, that would not satisfy God's judgment and God's wrath on sin. Because we are not pure as Christ was. And that after doing that, that in His grace, He would open our eyes to the truth that we are sinful in need of a Savior. That we could come to Him in faith and repent of our sin. So as we talk about heavenly treasure, may we not do so in a way that that we think our acquiring heavenly treasure is because we are great or we are worthy, because that is the furthest thing from the truth. So what is heaven what is heavenly treasure? I'm not going to pretend to be able to answer this question in its entirety for us, but I hope to give us a couple things that we can think about this morning as we move forward. I think the greatest treasure in heaven is not one that we earn, it's one that we are given by grace, the opportunity to live with the Lord, to be in His presence for all eternity. As I think about what treasure in heaven could be, I've heard and read different things, Uh, one being that for a reward for things well done, we may be given the opportunity to serve the Lord in different ways in heaven. But I think one of the greatest rewards that we could potentially have in heaven is the idea that one day the Lord may look at my life, may look at your life, consider the way that we have lived, the things that we have done, and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Can you think of anything that would be more rewarding than that? That God Almighty, perfect in every way, would look at what we have done, and by His grace, what He has allowed us to do, He might say, well done, good and faithful servant. As I thought about treasure in heaven, I thought about the scene that we see in Revelation chapter 4. It's a picture of worship before the throne of God. And one of the things that stands out, uh, Jesus told his disciples that they would be rewarded, that they would have responsibility in heaven. And and we see some who would appear to have received these rewards because the, the picture speaks of Around the throne of God are 24 thrones, and on those thrones sit 24 elders who have crowns on their head. And that seems like a pretty big deal at first, doesn't it? That in heaven you would be given a throne to sit on among all of the people who are there, around the throne of God with a crown. But think about what happens. We can't think of heavenly treasure as we do earthly treasure for our benefit necessarily, because when when God is worshipped, what do those elders do? They get off of their thrones. They kneel before the throne of God. They lay their crowns at Jesus' feet and they worship. How do we get this kind of treasure? How do we get treasure that lasts? I think we work for it. It's the reward of the Heavenly Father for those who do what He asks them to do. Not for recognition of man, simply because it is what the Father has asked us to do. It's gathered by walking in step with Jesus. As John tells us, abiding in Jesus, where apart from that we can bear no fruit. We work hard, and, and as Jesus told his disciples in the Great Commission, to take the message of the Gospel to those who need to hear it, whether that's across the street or around the world. You know, there are several things that Jesus talked about in... Uh, Giving to the needy, praying and fasting. Doing those things in, a, in a, with a pure heart. So that when our Father in Heaven sees what is done in secret, that He would reward us. Providing for those in need. Seeking the Lord in prayer. Earlier in chapter 5, verse 11, it says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say, All kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. A life faithfully lived. We don't necessarily face a lot of persecution, at least not severe, for being a Christian in America. And sometimes, while I'm thankful for that, I think sometimes it makes it too easy there's a cost to following Christ. It says if, if we walk as He would have us to do, we will be persecuted. makes me ask the question, do I do that? He talks, as he's talking about treasure, he talks about two qualities of treasure. Of earthly treasure, it's a temporary treasure. Does he say? he says that we don't store up treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Earthly treasure doesn't last. It deteriorates. As I understand, clothes a lot of times were a sign of wealth in ancient times. And the moth would eat the clothes. It would deteriorate. Rust would eat away at at other valuable things. Thieves can steal just about anything that we have. We realize that today... As we're here this morning, a thief on the other side of the world could be emptying your bank account through his computer. It's a a comforting thought, isn't it? We We don't place our hope and our security in those things because they are fleeting. We can't take it with us to eternity. On the other hand, heavenly treasure is permanent. Why do I say permanent? Because Jesus says that heavenly treasure is treasure that moth and rust do not destroy. That thieves do not break in and steal. It lasts. So that in and of itself, that should be enough, right? Jesus has told us this is what we ought to do. He's given us the case. Heavenly treasure is better. I love what he does when he moves to verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Again, a verse that we're probably, many of us, familiar with. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I've heard it said, and I agree, that it could probably accurately be said that where your heart is, that that's where you'll put your treasure. And, and that would probably be true, but that's not what he says. He says where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Because he knows that what we value and what we place significance on will lead our hearts, will lead our minds. It will take the, it will take the affections of our heart. It will, it will have our attention. I heard one commentator talk about... Um, He gave an example where a word picture of this would be a sunflower. If you know about sunflowers, I don't know a lot, but as I understand, the face of the flower follows the sun. So in the morning, when the sun is in the east, the flower would point to the east. And as the sun moves to the south, it would follow. And as the day goes on to the west, that flower would follow the sun. And he said it's a great picture of what our treasure does with our heart. If our treasure... Where our treasure is, there our heart will go. And I think that we all know this to be true. If we would stop and think about it, I know as I've thought about this, I prove this true in my life just about every day. But that which I am placing significance on is what I'm thinking about. You know, uh, in an earthly sense, the internet can be a great thing. It can be a terrible distraction as well. I'm one who, if I have my heart set on something that I think I desire, I can spend hours online, and I can tell you where in the state of Michigan the best deal is. I can tell you where the best one is, the one that I will like the best, all the things I can do with this great thing. And I can even go so far before I have it to look on to the next one. Of once I've gotten all the enjoyment I can out of this one, I know where I'm going to go looking for the next one. We prove this each and every day. By God's grace, we can treasure the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Colossians 3, 1 and 2 is probably a sermon unto itself, but Paul writes and he says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Do not set your minds on things that are on earth, but set your minds on things that are above. As a Christian, as a follower of Christ, it is our, that is what we are to do. Our hearts and our minds are to be in the heavenly places. Valuing the things that Christ values. And just like Jesus did from the beginning of his sermon, he continues, though he's talking about material wealth and treasure, I think it's just really another example that he is using. And what he is doing is he's really asking us to live as people of his kingdom. He's asking us value that which is important to him over that which the world around us tries to entice us with. I didn't look it up, but think of the money that is spent to try and get us to think that we have to have the latest this or that, whether it be a newer, bigger home someplace or the next best vehicle that we have to have. I even heard an ad on TV recently that said, because life is too short for ordinary chocolate. This piece of chocolate is going to bring great meaning to my life beyond that which any other piece of chocolate can bring. That's the world we live in. And though we live here on earth in the physical sense, we're not called to be a part of the system that places value there, are we? We know that God has always been in control, that He has created all things, that as believers we have the hope of spending eternity with Him, But if you remember, Jesus didn't ask that the Lord would take all who believed in him out of the world immediately, did he? Rather, he said, as they live on earth, this is a loose paraphrase, be with them, guide them, protect them. We are called to live here and to be about that which Jesus was about when he was here. He said on numerous occasions, I must be about the work of the Father. The Father is always working. I must be doing the work of the Father. He wants us to join him in that. When we seek after earthly, temporary treasure, it takes our eyes off of Jesus, off of that which matters for eternity, off of that which He desires for us. And as I share this today, it is not my place or my point to look at any individual and and tell you what is okay for you to have and what is okay or not okay for you to have. Scripture doesn't necessarily make it a sin to have possessions, but the question is, how do we view possessions? Again, another sermon into, a, into itself is the idea of stewardship. The things that the Lord has allowed us to have and to enjoy are resources. If we were about doing the work of the kingdom, these are resources that he has given to us and entrusted us to get the job done that he has for us. Do we view the possessions that we have in that way? Do we strive to accumulate for our own satisfaction? Or do we place our security and our comfort in them? Maybe a better question is, would we be willing to walk away from them all? Again, another passage that may be familiar. A rich young man came and told Jesus, I want to follow you. What did Jesus tell him? He said, go and sell everything you have, give the money to the poor, and then come follow me, and then you will have treasure in heaven. Would we be willing to walk away? Would we, as Paul, say, would he be willing to count would we be willing to count everything as lost and compared to the glory of knowing the Lord? This also isn't to say that someone who has more earthly treasure at their disposal values that more than someone else, because we can seek after and give value to different things, can't we? One man's trash is another man's treasure. We can give great value to something that doesn't cost much. We all long for different things. And it's interesting because biblical principles would tell me that I should work hard. Doing everything is unto the Lord. When I go to work and I work hard and I, and I do that in a way that would bring honor and glory to God, there's a chance I might be rewarded with earthly things, right? Right? There are biblical principles that would tell me it's wise to save when there is an abundance for when times are lean. But in doing that, do I take everything? Do I hoard everything that I could possibly save and close my eyes to the needs that are around me? Jesus didn't say if you give to the needy. He said when you give to the needy, giving instructions as to how we are to live. some questions for us to ask. Do I work hard for my little kingdom or do I work hard for God's glory? There's the right Sunday school answer that we could probably all answer and say that at times, yes, we do work for God's glory, but daily can we ask ourselves that question. What do I really treasure? What do I really work hard for? What am I really willing to sacrifice something for? And maybe one of the most important questions is, do I even realize the answers to those questions? Do I know the true answers to those questions? Again, my contemplation with my leaf blower and my rake, I realized that there were things I was placing great value on, and I didn't even realize it. My attention was drawn places I didn't even necessarily want it to be, but it was. Thus the prayer of David in Psalm 139, Lord, search me and know me. Show me what is in my heart. Verses 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? These are a couple verses that I've read over many times and I always think they sound strange where they are. It never really made sense to me and and quite frankly, I had hoped to just kind of look at a larger passage of Scripture, and I could maybe ignore that part. Uh, but I, I realized that wasn't what needed to be done. And as I read and studied, most uh, most people that I have found who are much wiser than I am are are together on this. That it's it's kind of a word picture again. That our eyes are a window into our heart, into our soul. One commentator described the eyes as a pane of glass that we look through, that we see things through. If that pane of glass is is colored, like maybe the stained glass we have here, if it's tinted, it colors what we see in a certain way. It may distort what we see. And the idea is this, we're led through life by our eyes and that which we see, and our eyes are going to those things that our heart values. If we value the things of the Lord, our eyes will be good. It will allow us to see clearly in a spiritual sense. We'll be able to walk with the Lord as He desires. But if our eyes are clouded, if they're dark, if we are focused on selfish things in our heart, our eyes are going to be drawn and lead us to those things, and and our spiritual clarity will not be there. As he wraps up this section in, in verse 24, Again, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. We cannot serve two masters, both God and money. The master money, gaining earthly wealth, treasure for ourselves. We can't ride the fence on this. We can't split our allegiances between what the world holds important and what God says is important. There may be days where we do better. There may be days where we struggle. But at the same time, we cannot serve both God and money. One of the main reasons is that those two things are at complete odds with each other. The world or this idea of building wealth for myself he has a philosophy and a mentality that says, he who dies with the most toys wins. Get the most out of life that you can. We're in God's kingdom, he says, to serve. He says, if anyone would be great in the kingdom of heaven, this is the one who is your servant. Again, if you're like me, we can prove the truth of this statement just about every day. I found that the things that this fall that maybe I was looking at and, and desiring and longing for, as I was thinking about those things, my mind was going, now could I reorganize my monthly budget to make this work? And could I maybe work hard and save in this way and do this to make this work and be able to obtain this? The only reason I'm not giving specific examples is it could be any number of things. And the truth is it was ugliness in my heart that I saw as I contemplated these things. When I was thinking that way, my mind was not on the things of the Lord. My mind was not on maybe my neighbor across the street who has some physical difficulties and she has just as many leaves as I do. Could I have served her by helping her remove her leaves? I wasn't thinking about getting to know people for the opportunity of sharing the glorious hope of the gospel because I was interested in in what I wanted to enjoy myself. And on the other side of that, When we know the joy of being a part of what the Lord is doing, how quickly do the things of earth dim? How quickly do we have clarity of sight and of mind? The desire, then, is to see the Lord work to bear fruit. It's not even that we have to accomplish anything. We can work hard, but it's the Lord that provides the increase. So as we close this morning, please know that... uh, the only fingers being pointed up here are back up here because as I have thought about this over the last number of months, I've seen enough the Lord still needs to do in my own heart to know that I don't need to be worried about what everyone else is doing and policing that. And again, I pray that the Lord would do according to His purposes with this text in each of our hearts and our lives this morning. Again, I'm, I'm excited to see. I don't know. Is the Lord stirring? in our midst somehow, to teach us how to follow Him better as we take the next step forward as a church, as we take whatever step we do into 2018 as individuals. As we close, maybe a couple of questions and a couple of thoughts. I want to go back to Psalm 139. And again, this idea of the Lord searching us and knowing us. If we were to have started at the beginning, David starts out, Oh Lord, You have searched me and You know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. In verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? The answer is nowhere. Nowhere. Verse 13, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, and your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! To the one who David would acknowledge, knows him to that extent. This is the one that he says, "...search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting." To the one who knit us together, to the one who knows every thought before we know it, every word before we speak it, every day that is allotted to us before we were born, David said, "...search me." The idea of searching is looking in every corner of my heart. To see the truth of what is there. As we close again, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Will we value God's desires over our own? I'm thankful that we have the opportunity to live where and when we do because we have so many things that we can enjoy. But the challenge for us, I think, is the challenge of keeping the American dream out of our faith, out of our Christianity. Pastor Constant a couple of weeks ago, remember, he said, we were called to follow. And if we were to look, we don't have time this morning, but to look at what following Jesus meant, it wasn't, there was nothing He did to live the American dream, was there? We have the privilege of being here and we can enjoy a lot of really amazing things we are called to follow. The beauty of that is we're not called to do this on our own, right? The end of Matthew 28, after he gives his disciples the instructions, Jesus says, Behold, I will be with you always. He will walk with us as we follow. He will teach us what we need to do. So a question for us. We all have... A figurative treasure chest. The question is, what are we putting into it? You know, am I am I looking to fill this guy up and put him in there? You know, I've got I have my keys to my house, to my vehicle. I've got the file cabinet in my office. Is that what's going in my treasure chest? Anybody else have one of these? These are pretty cool. You can waste a lot of time by putting stuff like that in my treasure chest. Is that what I'm searching for? Looking for? I pray that the Lord in His grace would give us the clarity of mind to seek the things that are important to Him. That as individuals and as His church, that we would follow Him. We would walk with Him in the way that He desires. I pray that the Lord would not be done with me in this passage of Scripture yet. Though I'm grasping some of the concepts that He would help me to live it out, that He would help you to live it out. As we begin a new year, would we all be willing to reflect, to see if there's something here for us today? May the Lord be gracious to show us the truth that it is in our heart. the the truth of what is in our heart and give us a desire to walk as He would have us to walk. Would you bow with me as we close in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word that You have preserved for us in the Bible. Lord, we thank You for stirring in the hearts of man to record the words that You spoke to the people who were alive at the time that You were on earth as you gave them instructions as to how to live as your disciples, how to follow you, that we have the privilege today of reading these words. Lord, may we set our hearts and minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. In your grace, would you allow us as a people to come together in the joy of knowing you, in fellowship, and the joy of serving you. Would you allow us to be used for your purposes in our community? May we have the joy of seeing you bring about fruit of, of men and women placing their faith in you for salvation. May we have the joy of seeing one another grow in our knowledge of you, our love for you, our devotion to you. May we have the privilege one day to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servants. Lord, we praise you for all that you are. We thank you for your grace that allows us to have a relationship with you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.